Good morning, good morning. My name is Luke Lamas, if we've never met. I've been a part of Calvary for many years now, since probably about 2002 off and on, when I went to college at Cal Poly. And I love this church and get the opportunity to get a teach this morning. If we've never met, um, I'm a, my wife and I actually supported missionaries of the church here at Calvary. We work with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, with middle school, high school, and college athletes and coaches across the Central Coast. And uh, yeah, just love what we get, how we get to serve in ministry through FCA, but also being a part of this church family. So we are continuing our series in 1 Corinthians. I encourage you to open your Bible if you have one, or you can follow along on the screens. And uh, just, yeah, excited to be able to share God's Word. Um, I just want to share at the beginning or the outset that the passage that we're going through uh, is a little bit of a challenging passage to teach because there's some, um, just some of the language and the nuance in it. Uh, it's also a pretty heavy passage of Scripture. So hopefully you're ready to kind of go deep and, and, and dive into God's Word. Um, it's a challenge. You know, I'm, I'm excited to teach this. I've been challenged and convicted as I've been studying this passage in preparation uh, for this morning. Um, but hopefully, this will be a nice a time together to get a study God's word, be encouraged, be challenged, and um, yeah, just be together in fellowship. So let me pray, and then we'll begin. Lord Jesus, we worship you this morning. Thank you that we can come together as believers, um, as your church, um, as the body of Christ, and as this passage talks about uh, the building and the temple of God. Um, to, to worship you, to encourage one another, and to be mindful, Lord, of the mission that you've called us to in this world. And so this morning, I pray that we would be encouraged, we'd also be challenged uh, as we um, look at your word and what it means to live in light of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just, uh, we've been going through the series of 1 Corinthians. Last week, uh, as, uh, we, you know, Pastor Brian came up and he was talking about um, this first part of 1 Corinthians about those who are mature versus those who are immature and what it means to live our life of faith uh, really in the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God versus uh, living in the flesh. And uh, that is kind of some of the beginning context for this passage. I was, uh, last time I shared at Calvary, I think it was about a month and a half ago, maybe a little more than that, and was talking about God's calling on our life and what it means that we have been called and commissioned into God's mission and work in the world and trying to encourage us and challenge us of what it really looks like to live that out. If you want to uh, go to the slide about some of the passages on um, calling, here in Romans eleven twenty nine, it says, For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. And Ephesians says, Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And in Philippians, he says, I press on toward the goal and the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. These are actually a few passages that I forgot to include that were in my notes last time I taught, and I just had to get it in this time. Um, but it relates because we're going to continue that theme of what does it look like to really live out and be who God has called us to be in the world. And today kind of talks a little bit about what is the significance or in some ways even the consequence of us living out God's mission on our, or God's calling on our life, or if we kind of neglect that and, and fail to do that. What does that mean? What does that look like? Um, and again, in, go ahead and go to the next one. Pastor Brian uh, taught last week, you know, this is the first part of chapter 3. Again, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And it starts off here, he says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people, um, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you um, with milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it, and even now you're not ready for it. You're still of the flesh. Uh, there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And Pastor Brian did a great job unpacking this and um, just expounding on what that means to live in the flesh versus the spirit, or to be mature versus immature in our faith. 
But this portion in the context of the passage that I'm going to be unpacking this morning, uh, the context of what was happening, it's, it's really important to understand that the church in Corinth, and, and a lot of the teachers over the last, uh, as we've been going through this series, have unpacked context, and I'm not going to get into all of that. I know some of you may be new or it's your first time here, but an important part of, part of context for this portion of Scripture is to understand that there was a lot of division in the church in Corinth. It was a very, um, you know, as we've talked about, metropolitan culture. There was a lot going on. There was immorality in the church, but there was also division. And uh, how many of you have ever traveled to, like, maybe uh, the Middle East or, or different parts of Asia, uh, you know, some maybe Latin America? As we talk about in, in missions and we talk about even just culture today around the world, coming out of Roman society and law and all of that, you have a, a, a guilt-innocent culture. And a lot of people say that in the West we live in a guilt-innocent culture. Uh, in much of the Middle East and parts of the world where a lot of this was written, they describe that as an as a honor-shame culture. And then they also have other parts of the world, they talk about power-fear culture. So if you study um, you know, intercultural communication or dialogue or that kind of stuff, these, these, this discussion is a part of that. But this idea, if you've ever been to a place where there's honor-shame cultures, title and position are so important and so significant. And really, even right and wrong is oftentimes rooted in how you are recognized or not recognized or shamed or not shamed. And that's going to tie into this passage is there's a lot of division about leadership in the church and who's kind of in positions of, of significance or prominence uh, and, and whatnot. So we'll look at that. So that's a little bit of context, and this is you know what's coming prior to this next passage. So if you go to the next part, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, actually, this is also related to it. Uh, yeah, go ahead. It says, for, this is earlier in 1 Corinthians, in verses, uh, chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. It says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Those last ones, you know, the really mature Christians in their church, they follow Jesus, right? Um, so they had to get that in there. But, but you have this situation where people are... Paul kind of founded the church, he had planted the church, and then he had left, and new leadership came in, and, and you know, based on personality or teaching style, different people are saying, oh, I like this guy and his kind of views on some things, or, uh, you know, when that person's going to be preaching or teaching, I don't really go on that Sunday because he's not as good, or whatever else happens, right, there's this division over who's in charge and leadership, and Paul is writing back a letter as he's hearing this report about this division, and he's seeking to correct what was uh, taking place and correct that division. So some of this passage, like I said, it's kind of heavy, um, and some of it's in the context that he's giving a little bit of a rebuke, uh, some to the leaders of the church, but also to the lay people who are causing this maybe gossip or strife. Unfortunately, we live in a society uh, where you know, we, we esteem celebrity and title as well in our culture, and even sometimes in the church, you know, we have these big mega churches with these really, you know, celebrity pastors that are really well known, and, um, and we hear about stories of, of people that, you know, fall, or you have situations of a church split or division, and Paul is striving to push the church towards unity and re- understanding who we are as the body of Christ and the family of God, that we are, there's, we are all, you know, equal before the Lord, and he's encouraging unity in the church and correcting this division. So our passage this morning, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 5. It's a little bit of a long passage. If I talk fast, feel free to somebody say, hey, slow down. It's because I know how much I'm trying to get through, and I, I want to be sensitive to our time this morning. But here we go. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, 
but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Am I right in saying it's a little bit of a complicated passage or a little bit of a heavy passage? Things to unpack there? Maybe some questions that come to mind. What does he mean by this? Um, So some of the topics or the points that we're going to look at this morning is really the the importance of unity in the body of Christ or unity in the church. It's a really um, kind of key, key topic or key point. The second part is... What does it mean to build God's church? Building God's church, and how was that done? And what's, this, what's the importance of that, the significance of that? And the role of the builders, who are the builders, and what's their responsibilities? Uh, we're all supposed to be a part of that. Little, uh... And then the last part is, it really it talks about judgment, the coming judgment and eternal reward. The idea of eternal reward, being rewarded, for our labor or our activity in this life is maybe, you could say, a controversial topic or a topic that's not talked about a lot or something that um, is, is an interesting thing to think about. What would that actually look like? And we're going to pack a little bit of that this morning. So some of this will get into some things related to you know, future judgment or end times, the technical words, eschatology type stuff. But we're not going to go too in deep to depth to that, but it kind of speaks to some of those issues. So those are some of the things we're going to look at. So let's talk about that first one, unity in the church. If we go back to our passage, 1 Corinthians Three, five, um, five through nine. We can go to the next, next one. He says here, "What is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants to whom you have believed." So he's making this situation. You can imagine some people are saying, "Hey, I follow Paul." As talked about, I follow Apollos. No, I'm following. I follow Cephas. Well, I follow. I follow just Jesus. I just read the Bible. I don't listen to any of these guys. Um, He's saying, there we're just servants whom you believed as the Lord assigned. I planted Apollos water, but God gave the growth. Ultimately, the glory goes back to God. As, as we think about, you know, you can ask the question, what is the role of, of a pastor? What is the role of a preacher? Um, Ephesians 4 talks about different um, gifts given to the body of Christ. Apostles, pastors, prophets, teachers, evangelists. For the building up of the church, the equipping of the saints for works of service. And so it's an extremely important role in the body of Christ that teachers and preachers have to lead God's people and to, to build the church, to, to feed the, the sheep, to create um, an environment where we can grow and flourish. And we are incredibly blessed at our 
uh, church here and in our church family to have a wonderful church staff and pastors that, that, that love you guys, that love me as a member of this church and pour into us and teach us. And it's not an easy role. And it's, a lot of times there's not a lot of praise or recognition that oftentimes goes into it. And everyone can, you know, have their maybe criticism or their opinion about, well, he didn't say this quite right or whatever. I've heard that joke before or whatever it may be. And, and we've got to appreciate our pastors because it's not an easy role. But it's a very important role in the body of Christ. And he's saying, but ultimately, look, we're just fellow servants. We have a responsibility and God's called a pastor to, to teach and to preach. And they have that role and that responsibility and they need to do it faithfully. But sometimes, you know, some pastors can, you know, try to get people, more people to like them and side with them, or there is division and there is tension. You know, fortunately, in the, in the Protestant, the Protestant Reformation, great thing that happened, uh, work and move of God, but what came out of it? Many different denominations, and most of the division were over, you know, secondary or, or non-essential things, like how do we do communion or baptism or, you know, a number of different things. And there's been a lot of division throughout church history. And he's saying, look, ultimately, we need to build on the foundation of Christ. So he says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So he's saying, hey, look, if you're in this church fellowship and you've got Apollos, who is supposedly a very gifted orator, and and Paul, uh, and Cephas, and these different people pouring into you, great. You know, you can... um, I think that, okay, how many of you attended a church other than this church sometime in your life? Okay, all of us. We've all been to different churches, different church fellowships. You've probably heard people say, oh, you know what, I'm not going to go there anymore. I'm going to go to a new church. I'm just not being fed there anymore. You ever heard that kind of phrase? We use funny Christian language sometimes. Um, you know, or I don't know that, you know, this. I think it's really important that we remember that ultimately our faith is rooted in Christ, not in a person or a teacher. And that we should be able, as we grow and mature, speaking about going from infancy to maturity in the faith, to be able to um, benefit from and gain wisdom from any teacher. And we should hopefully grow into a place where we have the discernment, like the Bereans, to be able to test the scripture. And if a teacher or pastor does something to say something that's a little off, like I made today, we'll see how this goes, you know, that that we show them grace. And we, um, if there ever is a need to correct, that we do it with graciousness, right? Um, But that we... Um, recognize that ultimately the teachers and preachers, they're, they're all, they're one. They're uni- they should be unified in a spirit of unity. It's been awesome being a part of the pastor's prayer network and seeing a lot of the pastors here on the Central Coast. as uh, We've had some new church plants in, in, in our area and stuff come together and pray and celebrate that unity as the body of the, the church. It's been a really neat thing to see. So he says, he who plants and he who waters are one. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so now he gets in this idea that He's making this illustration that as followers of Christ and as the body of Christ, we make this collective whole that becomes the building of God. He's going to talk about how we should build. And that kind of takes us to the next, um, next passage or the next part. Um, this is a, a, another passage to give some context where Paul is teaching the church in Ephesus, maybe a little bit healthier of a church. He doesn't use as much maybe criticism or harsh language, but here he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Again, these are being Gentiles, can be brought into the the family of God, not just Jews. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. So it's not a contradiction, it's very similar. And the other one, he says, the foundation is Jesus Christ. Here he's saying the foundation is actually the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. 
So it's, it's a part of the foundation. Those early eyewitnesses, their testimony and their witness of the resurrection was extremely important for the growth and the maturity of the early church. And Jesus is the cornerstone of that, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In, um, again, talking about this idea of unity in, in John 17, it says that we may be one. Jesus is talking and he gives us this, this prayer. This is near the end of his earthly life and, and ministry. And he's praying and he's saying, God, I pray, I pray that my people, that they would be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And he's praying, there's this, this ongoing prayer, almost this agony that he's, he's pleading with God, help, help maintain the unity of the believers. Keep them unified, keep them one. He doesn't want division and strife amongst the people of God. Now, there are sometimes appropriate times when, when we should, um, you know, there, there, there's, there's issues, whether it's doctrinal things or it's, um, you know, sin issue or things that might come up where it's appropriate that there has to be discipline or there has to be confrontation or even potentially division, but ultimately God wants us to remain in Christ and in the Spirit to be unified as the body of believers. Okay, go to the next. Uh... <clears throat> so again, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be, become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So let's look at that first part. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. That idea of master builder, it's... Uh, um, architectron, I think, in, in original language, basically the, we, the, the word we get, arch, the architect, is kind of the word that we get. And I was reading one commentary, he kind of said a better description of it is really that Jesus is the, the master architect. He had cast the vision, he had set the plan, the plan in place, he had commissioned his disciples, and they're kind of like um, hired contractors who are now going to go carry that out and build that plan. Anybody in here, any uh, architects or Contractors or people that are builders, we got some in the back. Yeah, you've done some construction. I uh, recently uh, we we moved from an apartment to a house, which has been a big blessing for Katie and I and our family. With a third kid on the way, we got a little yard for our boys. And Katie's like, you know, so the, when you have a house over an apartment, the amount of like, what do they call them, honeydews? Like, hey babe, will you do this? Will you do this? <laughs> Can you build this? Fix this? So I've been doing some stuff, but I built a mantle out of wood, and I also built like a little counter thing and uh, borrowed some tools, and it's but it was really fun to do it. But I'm not necessarily like, I was like, all right, I'm getting my hands, you know, dirty, working. I, we, I bought some, we have a fireplace now, so I've been chopping wood with my boys. Well, I've been doing it safely, you know, but, <laughs> but it's chopping wood, and they'll pick them up and go put them on the thing. It's been, 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 uh, been really fun, but I've just kind of been doing more of this, I guess, you know, work with my hands and carpentry type stuff. And it's neat to be able to build something and to see kind of the before and the after. If you ever remodeled or demo stuff, you know, it's a lot easier to do the demo part of it. But, but then, you know, you see before and then after. And if you've ever been a, seen a construction site, it's kind of like sometimes, man, is this ever going to get, uh, is this ever going to get complete? Is this ever going to be, um, you know, it, it always seems to be, you know, if you've ever lived in a, a construction environment, it always takes longer, it costs more, you know, it's messy, you know, the dust in the air and all this stuff. You're trying to, you know, whatever. It, it can be challenging. And it's easy to think, gosh, is this ever going to get to completion? 
And I think sometimes we experience that in our own lives, a life of faith. I see God, you know, working things out in me or in the church, and we're seeing growth. But then it's like, oh, man, we, you know, we need to rebuild this part. Or, you know, you see some area of your life where you see maturity, and then you're like, wow, okay, I'm doing pretty good there. And then God reveals this whole other area. It's like a whole other room with a house that needs to be remodeled. You're going, oh, man, starting back over with, you know, I know for me in junior high when I was, was young, I had a guy confront me because I, you know, Christian parents, Christian family, but I'd try to be popular around my non-Christian friends, and I would, I would use a lot of bad language. And I remember a, a, a friend in a junior high group, um, he came up to me, and he was, a, he was a kid who was homeschooled at the time, and he kind of confronted me like, Luke, why are you talking like that? You think you're, like, cool or something, you know? And uh, I remember just being, like, blowing him off and, like, you're homeschooled, man. Like, I don't even, you know, whatever. And uh, my wife's homeschooled. No, no. Uh, um, and, I, and I remember just, like, blowing him off and whatever, but then leaving there. And God started to, to convict me. And it was true. I got a red card in one of our soccer games for using the F word or something towards a ref, and I blamed it on a teammate. And my dad had to go sit on the sideline. It was like, oh, my gosh. This, you know, who, what am I doing? And God started to con- convict me on this area of my life. And I thought, man, if I could ever just not use bad words, then I would really be, you know, have arrived as a Christian. <laughs> God started to show me, like, yeah, what the pride in your life and all these other things. And he continues to do a work in us. He's continuing to, to refine, to remodel. And as we come together as the body of Christ, and I, like that guy was willing to confront me, we, we challenge and encourage each other. We'll see in First Peter in a little bit, and we talked about we're living stones. And stones sometimes, you know, they grind each other a little bit. But we, we come together as the body of Christ, and that's how, God, we grow and, and mature. So here it says, uh, yeah, okay, there it is. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So go back again one more time to the, the passage before it. Here it says, it's like a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds. So each one, I think this is, as I was wrestling with this passage, it was kind of like, okay, is he, this teaching here, is this primarily directed towards, um, I guess you would describe, say, clergy or Christian leaders or pastors and teachers? There's a passage in James which says, not many should presume to be teachers because you'll be judged more strictly or you have to give an account of what you teach. But at the same time, we're all called to go and preach the gospel to every creature. We're all called to participate in the Great Commission. And I believe here that an accurate view of this is that we're all called to build God's church. And Jesus is the foundation, and different people have different roles or positions within the church, but all of us are called to participate in sharing the gospel, in discipling others, in encouraging people in their faith, using the gifts that God has given us to advance the kingdom of God and see the body of Christ grow and the building or the temple of the church be erected, be be, uh, growing, and, and come to fruition. So let each one take how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. So here's really, I think, we start to get into the crux of this passage and what I want to challenge us today. I remember being in um, a senior in high school, maybe a junior, and I went to a winter camp. And a, uh, the teacher at this camp gave this message where he taught on this passage of 1 Corinthians 3. In fact, as I was, you know, Pastor Jane, or Brian was saying, hey, we've, you know, talking with some of us who are in the rotation with teaching, he said, hey, there's different passages available. You know, if you want to pick one or, you know, where are you going to, and I remember reading, I was like, oh, yeah, that's a passage about the wood hand straw. I remember that message that was given, that really impacted me. I'll, I'll pick that one. So I, I, you know, put my name down, and then I started reading the whole thing. I'm like, oh, man, this passage is heavy. Like, I'm going to have to go through all this. But I remember this guy giving this talk, and he talked about, he said, look, when you live your life, 
You can invest your life. You can pursue things that have eternal significance, that make a difference in the lives of others, that help lead people to Christ or pour into human beings so they might come to know God or learn about who he is and, and all that stuff. And he says, and those things, that has eternal significance and value and weight to it. And there's things you can do with your life that, you know, they may not be bad things, may not be sin things, but they're just earthly things. They're just temporary things. And he kind of gave this whole challenge about that. And then he read the Isaiah uh, 6 passage, and, and it talks about, you know, Isaiah before the throne of God. And he says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Uh, and, and Isaiah says, you know, after his lips were purified and stuff, and he says, I remember identifying with that. And he says, uh, um, here am I, Lord, send me. And this pastor gave this talk, and he tied it into um, some sports illustration. I was an athlete at the time. He used his track illustration. I was, like, really moved by this talk. And he says, okay, who here will stand up and commit your life to full-time ministry? We're a bunch of high school kids. And I, like, was, like, all moved, and, you know, and I stood up in the back. And I was, like, okay. And I was, like, probably the only kid. There's about 1,000 kids in the room. I was, like, one of the only kids that stood up. I remember thinking, like, man, what did I just do? But God started to use that to shift my, my, my focus in my life. I remember my dad would sometimes tell me, he would say, you know, Luke, there's only two things in the world that are eternal, God's word and people's souls, you know, and it's valuable to invest your life in things that are eternal. He's the CEO of an aerospace company, and I've been able to see him use his business and his company to um, share Christ. He's a chaplain at, at our, the local jail in his community, and he's serving, and I see how, God, how he honors God through his work, you know, work that's contracts for the government or contracts for private industry, and I would work there and stuff, and, and I was kind of going that route, but I just felt God saying, man, I you know, if I could spend more of my time or my life. And I used to put up all my, I think I might have shared this story at Calvary, but I used to, as an athlete, put up all my medals and trophies on the wall. Uh, he's an athlete, or maybe you put your degrees, soon-to-be degrees, some of you college students, up on the wall. And, uh, and I was praying one day, and I'm like, Lord, you know, I spent all this time trying to get these trophies, these medals, these awards. And, you know, I was thinking, Jesus says, don't store up treasure on earth, when moth rest destroy, store up treasure in heaven. How do, how do we do that? What does that look like? Storing up treasure in heaven. That's an interesting thought or concept. And I just said, pray some prayer. I said, God, I pray that you'll give me the chance to share the, the gospel with a person for every medal on the wall. I said, amen. I counted there's about 70 medals and trophies and other stuff. And I remember thinking, I mean, they would give that, you know, they give those out for all kinds of stuff, you know. But <laughs> I was pretty proud of them at the time. And, and I remember, uh, you know, just praying and, and I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know how to do this. But again, it was a shift to think about this contrast between earthly things that have such temporary value versus eternal things. Um, you know, we're in, a, we're in a season right now of the awards ceremony for the movie industries, right? The, the um, Screen Actors Guild and the Golden Globes and the Oscars and all this kind of stuff. I think I actually have a little picture. Might have to jump ahead for that. But uh, of, of all these awards. And there's such an emphasis, right? You hear these people give their, their, their speech of, of, you know, after they win one of these awards. And they're just, I mean... What do they look like or how do they sound? I mean, it's like their lifetime accomplishment. It's like I can die happy now. I've, I've arrived. I've gotten this award. My peers have selected me. They've nominated me. Or finally, I mean, who was it? Uh, DiCaprio, right? He, he was a really good actor, never had gotten one. He finally got his, his Oscar for Edmund in one of the movies or something like that. And I mean, it's just like, oh, there, there's, you can see how much obsession and devotion of one's life goes towards this accomplishment to get this little piece of, of metal, Right? Or you think about athletic competition, to win the Tour de France, and people strive and race and sacrifice everything and compromise their values to get these, you know, these, this, this yellow jersey. And what do we know? Lance Armstrong, right, he had all that. And then because of the lack of character in his life and because of the compromise, that was all stripped away. It was all removed. 
right? Or these awards, they're, they're temporary. You can devote so much of our life. What are the things in our lives or your life that, that you are devoting so much time, energy towards that really, if you think about it in terms of God's perspective, does it have that much value? And, and many of the things that are our pursuits, here's what I, please don't hear me wrong. The pursuits that we strive for in this life Either it's, whether it's earthly accomplishment or it's the work that we endeavor to do to add value in the world and to serve people. I believe that God esteems that very much. We hear the story of Brother Andrew, who uh, uh, I think, it, if I get this right, but he would um, do dishes at the monastery and he would pray and worship God through that. And his doing dishes was an act of service to God and worship to God. But he was mindful of God in everything that he, that he, he does. And I think that we have an opportunity as Christians to steward our life to the glory of God in every area of our life. And when we do that, God is pleased. And as we'll see here in a second, God sees those things. He remembers those things. But we can also, even though we're Christians, sometimes structure our life and and let the pursuit of our life be things that really don't honor the Lord that much. Or they're really only for, you know, earthly success or retirement portfolio or um, human praise and recognition. And those things maybe don't have the same value in the eyes of the Lord. So go back real quick to the passage with the wood, hay, and straw. Um, now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. When it says the day here, um, he's talking about the day of the Lord, or the, the, the day of judgment. When we will give an account of our life before God. And so as you think about what, what is the gold, silver, or precious stones? When we think precious stones, we'd probably think like diamonds, rubies, things like that. But it's, it's probably more accurate in the context to think of precious stones as being um, these, you know, marble or, or, or stones that were used in construction in those days. Uh, anybody in here been to Rome or been to, been, had a chance to go to Rome or, or to, yeah, or maybe been to Israel? You can still go and see these structures that were built hundreds, thousands, you get my numbers right, thousands of years ago, Yeah. <laughs> thousands of years ago, and they're still standing. Now, some of them are in ruins, but you can go visit the Colosseum. I mean, it's an incredible, this architecture. But they didn't use, like, drywall, you know? They didn't use two-by-fours. I mean, they used these precious stones that would form a foundation and that they could construct these, I'm not very good at tech, architect stuff, but these scaffoldings or these pillars, they would build these things that would last. And then, you know, you think about the temple uh, in Israel, that ultimately eventually was destroyed and rebuilt and so on, but, but they would build it and they would you know, lace it with gold or silver. And so he's talking about things basically that were combustible versus things that are incombustible, that could not just be, be burned. In fact, gold is talking about you know, how it would be purified through, through fire Where, versus wood, hay, and straw. Um, you know, wood, hay, and straw is great. Uh, you know, as I said, I have a fireplace in my backyard. It's great if you're trying to start a fire. It's not if it's the quality of your craftsmanship is going to have to be revealed by fire. If the torch is the thing that's going to test your uh, craftsmanship, you know, you wouldn't use wood and straw. You would use things that, that, that persevere, that, that um, are incombustible. And so you build in light of where it's going to, you know, how it's going to be tested. We live in California, and so our buildings have, ext- we have really strict building codes, right? Because they have to withstand these earthquakes. Uh, some of you heard the stories of Haiti, how they, had, you know, the earthquakes and things that happened there created incredible devastation. But it's because many of their buildings were built with very um, weak 
uh, building standards and materials. And so when that earthquake happened, I mean, everything just kind of got leveled. It's been almost dystopian as we see some of the fires that have happened up in, uh, you know, uh, up north where, you know, you'll show the before and after and you see all these homes, beautiful homes, and then it's just like a wasteland after the fire went through. Have you seen some of those pictures? I should have had them in my slides. Um, it would enhance this, uh, this message. Um, but, you know, it just, it's just gone. And so he's kind of making this comparison here, and this is where we're going to get into some of the, the, the meat of this or, you know, some of the challenging ideas of this passage of what does it look like to build our life and invest our life in things that really will last for eternity. And when we come before God, God's going to see and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, and, and there'll be reward for the, that, that effort versus things that, you know, um, just that, that, that don't. So it says here, the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the, the, the sort of work each one has done. So before I talk about this, this part and go to that next phase, which is the, the idea of judgment and eternal reward, let me preface with this. The Bible is very clear, crystal clear. The only way that we can have a relationship with God or that we can enter um, into the presence of God or that we can know God or have any hope of salvation or eternal life is through faith in Jesus Christ. That when we put our trust in Jesus, we receive this robe of righteousness, we receive the righteousness of Christ that he accomplished for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And when we come before God and he is there in all of his majesty, and glory, the, the brightness of his holiness and his character and his perfection, man, we have no hope but to be found in Christ. It is so important that we know Jesus. If you're here this morning and you're hearing about these things and you maybe don't know God or you're wrestling with these things, the Bible teaches that there is a day that we have to give an account of our life, that we have to become before a holy God. And unless we are found in Christ, we don't have hope of being in the presence of the Lord. There's that passage, a heavy passage, where Jesus says, many on that day, the day of judgment, they will say to me, Lord, Lord, look at all these good things I do. Well, if we trust in ourselves and our work to find favor with God, we have no hope. He says, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. So the way we know God is through faith in Jesus. And we are saved by faith. And in fact, we're even sanctified by faith. And we grow in maturity through the work of God in us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. It's by grace you've been saved, so nobody can boast. It's a work of God, right? And he says, but you are God's workmanship, created for good works which God prepared in advance for you to walk in. So as we transition to this portion where we talk about when we have to come before God, the judgment, and this idea of eternal reward, please understand that nothing we do in this life earns or merits God's favor or blessing or salvation or anything like that. At the same time, and this is exciting. This is really, um, it's powerful. God saves us unto good works or unto a life of mission and fruitfulness. He wants our life to bear fruit. And he has things that he wants. This goes back to the idea of this calling that God has on our life. He has things that he wants each of our life to accomplish. And we don't compare ourselves to somebody else. We're not, I'm not supposed to be Billy Graham. You're not supposed to be Mother Teresa. You're supposed to be who God has called you to be, empowered by the Holy Spirit and living in light of the Spirit rather than living according to the flesh. And so it seems that we have an opportunity to obey, to submit, to surrender to that plan that God has for us. And when we do that, when we steward our life to his glory and we're faithful to what he's called us to, he will honor that. He will reward that in heaven. 
And if we neglect to be faithful to what he's called us to as a believer, it says here that we might even suffer loss or there could be, dis- there could be potentially sorrow or discouragement. Now, heaven is going to be perfect, and God is um, an amazing, uh, compassionate, and loving God. But Paul is challenging these believers and trying to encourage them towards a life of faithfulness. Okay, let's keep going. How am I doing? I've got a couple more minutes. Which is, I'm in my last point, so that's good. If I'm, you know. So keep going. Uh, so, yeah, you receive a reward. So keep going a little bit to um, next, next slide. Here we go. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one will receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 2 Corinthians uh, 5.10, Paul teaches this. And this is referred to, that idea of the judgment seat of Christ, is referred to the, as the, the Bema seat. Some of you may have heard of that. Um, there's a picture, the next picture here is actually a picture, this idea of a Bema seat. Um, there's a couple of places in context. In some situations, it was the seat where, you know, like a Caesar or um, a, a, a Herod would sit and pronounce judgment against criminals and wrongdoing. But more common, the Bema seat was actually the place in uh, these, these uh, I shared when I shared last time about the Isthmian games or the, the games in Athens. This is the Bema seat in Athens where the judge would sit up there and they would give reward to the competitors. So people would go out and compete and then they would, based on what they accomplished now, fast they ran or whatever else they did, they would then give these wreaths and they would give these awards from this judgment seat. They would reward the performance of the athletes. And so when it says the judgment seat of Christ... Um, there's discussion as we look at, you know, revelations and the scriptures about the chronology of, of end time events. There's discussion about, you know, the great white throne judgment and when does that occur, occur or the separation of the, the sheep and the goats or this, this uh, judgment seat of Christ for the body of Christ. Is that before or after? Is it all at the same time? And I think the biggest thing to take away is that there will be a day when we come before the Lord. He says in Revelations, um, one, oh, I don't think I have it on here. There's a passage in Revelations 22 where he says, I'm coming and I come quickly. I have my reward in my hand. It says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who are persecuted for you shall receive a reward, right? So there's, God says that he has a reward for those who faith him. Now, now what is that? What is that reward? What is he talking about here? Um, when it says you know, that it will be revealed by fire. That's a really, sorry, can you go back one more time to the, the main passage? <clears throat> yeah, go to the, uh, the one with the wood, hay, straw. First, it's, uh, Precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. This is not something that we like hear a lot about or talk a lot about. Is that fair to say? When I say this is kind of a heavy passage, is that in my, in my is that right? So go to this passage in um, yeah, go to Revelations one four. It says here in a description of Jesus, the hairs of his head were like were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. Here's a really interesting thing: when we think about coming before God, God is perfect. He's holy. He's just, and. John, when he sees Jesus, says his eyes were like a flame of fire. You can imagine coming before God in all of his glory and magnificence and, and his omniscience where he knows all things. And he can see, I mean, piercingly into every area of our life. 
And if you're like me, that's, that's an intimidating thing because I can stand here before you and all that stuff, but, but I know, that, and God knows the depravity of my heart apart from Christ. I know my sin. I know my wickedness. I know who I am in the secret place. But I also know who I am when empowered by the Holy Spirit and serving God in, in joy. You know, the, what's the um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? There's a little bit of that in all of us. Times when we're, you know, are not, when our, we're at our worst and times when we're at our best. And wouldn't we love to be at our best all of the time? But we're not always. And God can see piercingly into us. And by God's grace, when we put faith in Christ, all of our sin, past, present, and future, is washed away and we're clothed with Christ. And we can stand before God not based on our merit, but on the merit of Christ. And all that is remembered is that which we have done for God and the glory of God in the world. It's incredible uh, truth, incredible reality. You can imagine right now, we're obviously in the impeachment trials in our country. It's a big time, and you've got the um, house managers, and you've got the president's council, and you've got the Supreme Court justice, and there's a lot of debate and discussion about intent and motive and what, what was the reason for things being withheld, money being withheld, all this stuff. And then everyone has to kind of evaluate and make a decision. That is not how it is before God. That is not how it is before God. There's no question in wondering. He sees perfectly our motive and what was done. I mean, it's, it's intense, right? But it's also just, again, the point of all of this is to point us back to, it's about the glory of God and the importance of being in Christ and living a life empowered by the Spirit, which God esteems. Okay, keep going for me. I think I'm, how am I doing, Gunther? One more minute? Five minutes? We're okay? Okay. Okay, he said I got a while, so I'm just kidding. Um, go to, Mal, uh, real quick, the Malachi 3.16. This is, this is beautiful. This is awesome. For those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and the book of remembrance was written before him. And those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. The Bible says that there's actually a book of remembrance, that when we seek to share about God's love with somebody, when we seek to be kind to somebody that nobody, and nobody sees it, God sees it. There's a book of remembrance. He remembers the things that are done by his followers, by his people. He will see those things. Go to the next one. For those who feared the Lord, spoke with one another. Oh, go to the next one. Sorry. Go to the uh, First Thessalonians. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown? So this idea of eternal reward, what is the reward? When it says that we're going to receive a reward, what is it? Um, you know, we know the Bible talks about the crown of life, or the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. These crowns that, that people will receive as a reward for life of faith. But it also tells us in Revelation that they would, the people would lay down uh, or bow down before the Lord and they would lay their crowns at his feet. So really any reward that we receive, it ultimately goes back to honor the Lord, to honor God. It says, for what is our hope, our joy, or crown of rejoicing before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? Paul talks about this idea of the crown of rejoicing. And I want to encourage you with this, this thought, this picture, as we think about this day of coming before the Lord and striving to live a life of faithfulness. I, I'm convinced, I believe very strongly that um, eternal reward is really, it's, a, it's an issue of stewardship. It's not about doing something to get something. It's about being faithful to what God has called us to as, a, as, as an attitude and a life of gratitude and thankfulness for who God has called us. We know this, the parable of the talents where God gives some you know, 30, some 
five, and the one person goes and takes his talent, and he, he buries it. He does nothing with it. And the other one says, okay, I'm going to invest this, and there's a return. And so as God has gifted you, and he's put his spirit inside of you, and he's given you a family and coworkers and friendships and people that you're around, he wants us to steward our life to his glory and to live on mission for his purposes in the world, to build his kingdom, to reach the lost. So remember, sometimes a Christian faith can be a lot about, you know, be kind to others, have a good family, good marriage, you know, good 401k. I mean, just kind of like structure my life well. Don't, don't cheat. Don't do those things. But that's, those are important things, but those, are the, those should be the outpour of living a life on mission where Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. He's about a rescue mission in the world. And so as we steward our life to honor God, you can imagine a day when we would get to heaven. And five years ago, there was someone that you reached out to and were kind to. And you'd forgot about it. But you get to heaven and you see them. And there's this reunion and this celebration. Can you imagine that rejoicing as people come up to you and say, thank you for that time when you invested in me? And it, you had totally forgot about it. But now there's, you remember and you celebrate. Um, I had an opportunity. I've been, been doing a number of international trips. I've been to uh, you know, about eight or nine countries at that point, getting to serve with people and share Christ and um, train, do training and all this stuff. And I went to a conference in Orlando. It was a sports ministry conference. And people from a lot of those countries were all at this one place. And I didn't anticipate that I would see all of them. But I remember going to this conference and on the breaks and the meals, running into somebody and just be like, oh my gosh, like, how are you? It's good to see you. And these like big hugs. It was the most, probably the closest glimpse of heaven that I had ever kind of experienced of going around this place and everybody's there of times of, you know, difficulty and hardships and enduring these, you know, trips and other stuff, but serving with people and seeing them all in one place. And you can imagine heaven being like that. And this reward of rejoicing, of being able to celebrate with all of the people that our lives have impacted over a life of faithfulness and service to the Lord. Not comparing ourselves to somebody else and what they're called to, but being faithful to what God has put before you. Do you see that? Do you see that picture? Um, to me, it's a, it's a beautiful picture, this idea, this crown of rejoicing with those that have been impacted as God uses our life to make a difference. So as we kind of wrap it up in summary, my, my encouragement, my challenge for us is, is to be mindful that God wants us to build his church, and he wants us to do that to strive for unity. Is there things in, in, in our community here at Calvary Slow? I'm so thankful, you know, that we have great pastors. If you think about Pastor Brian, when they introduce themselves, he'll often say, hey, Pastor Brian, one of the pastors here, you know, it's not I'm the senior pastor, I'm the founder, I'm the head pastor. You know, it's just, hey, I'm just one of the pastors. And is there anything that we can do to continue to encourage unity? Or is there anything that you're doing that's causing division that we can avoid or, or stop or cut out so that we can see this church continue to build? I think we're coming up on our 25-year anniversary. It's incredible how God has honored and blessed this church. And we want to continue to strive for that unity. Um, and then finally, we want to invest our life in things that have eternal value versus temporary value. And for me, I'm challenged with that because I know there's a lot of time that I can, I guess you could say, waste on just things that aren't that significant. And I want to be encouraged and spurred on to continue to strive to faithfully honor the Lord and serve the Lord uh, with the life that he has given. Amen? So that's what, um, that's what we got. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Um, as I, you know, I hope that as we hear these things, again, please, it's so important that we remember that we're saved by faith, 
And even we grow and we mature as Christians by God's grace and his mercy in our lives. And even this idea of reward is something that goes back to him and, his, and glorifies God. And yet it's also something that God wants of our life. God wants us to be faithful to that which he's put before us. So let's strive towards that. Let's encourage one another and let's continue to build God's church together. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you uh, for your word. Even the more hard or challenging passages, we, we thank you that you are a God who is faithful, a God who loves us. And we thank you, God, that you invite us into your mission in the world, that we can be a part of building your kingdom and your church, which is the temple of God. Um, we love you, Lord, and I just pray that we would leave here encouraged and motivated and inspired to recognize that the, the small actions and the little things that we do to honor you are not forgotten, that you remember them. And we do things that we're afraid if somebody might make fun of us or mock us or look down on us for our, our beliefs or our love for you, that we remember that it's worth it because you see. And one day, we give an account of our life to you, Jesus. We worship you and submit these things in Jesus' name. Amen.